I'm Jewish. I'm so Jewish. I'm Jewish. I'm Jewish. A lot of people say, I'm Jewish, I'm proud of being Jewish. First thing I ask them is, why? I'm Jewish. Make something of it. All right, welcome to the second interview of the podcast, Rabbi Yaakov Yosef Reinman. Very different point of view from Rabbi Scholweis. He's an Orthodox thinker, brilliant man, very nice guy. Okay. Uh, my name is Yaakov Yosef Reinman. I am 57 years old, and I am a writer. My parents. Uh, both came from uh, established rabbinic families, and they were Holocaust survivors. They came to the United States after the Second World War, and I was brought up in a strictly Orthodox rabbinic home. So he brings up the term Orthodox. I wondered if he likes to refer to himself as ultra-Orthodox, and why or why not? I, I, don't, I don't like these terms. I don't like the term ultra-Orthodox. I don't like the term Haredi, because Haredi... Uh, people will sometimes translate that as fervently orthodox or something like that. And it gives the wrong impression. It makes it seem like, you know, shaking all day, you know, all day and saying, praying and really fanatical. And, and, uh, and we're just normal people living normal lives and having great relationships with our friends and our families and a great relationship with God. So that's not what it is. It's not we're not... Uh, we're not some kind of extremists that, are, that live a life of great fervency. Maybe a different type of fervency, but it gives the wrong impression. Ultra-Orthodox, I mean ultra-Orthodox. Orthodox itself, is a little bit, the word, is a bit extreme. Ultra-Orthodox means like we're extreme of the extreme. It makes, us, it makes us seem like some kind of a fringe group, and it's not. We are, we are the continuation of the ancestral religion. Our way of life is the way our ancestors lived. Now, the last 200 years, there were all kinds of uh, you know, problems and, and schisms, but uh, from that back, going back thousands of years, there was a way that Jews lived, and we continue living that lifestyle. So I prefer us to call what we do classical Judaism, because we do the classical form of Judaism. If I consider myself extreme, uh, I think most people consider themselves moderate. Where they are, that's the right place to be, and uh, anyone to either side of them is, is extreme. But that's just. But uh, I don't consider myself extreme at all. I, uh, you know, I study the Torah. This is what the obligation of Jews to study Torah. Um, I do my best to observe it uh, properly. I am open to the world. I am knowledgeable about the world. I'm interested in the world. And um, I live a nice, clean, good Jewish life. And just because I wear a long coat and I have a beard, I don't think that makes me extreme. Extremism is in the mind, not on the face. Uh, there are people in, in the Orthodox community that are extreme. There are people in the secular community that are extremely secular. And that's, uh, that's uh, equally extremist. You know, what did Barry Goldwater say? Extremism and defense of liberty is no vice. Some people feel that way, that what they're doing is the right thing, and maybe they don't consider themselves extremists. But, you know, it's a relative word. It doesn't mean that much. 
We now switch gears. I ask him about the Hasidic movement and what his connection there is. Uh, the Baal Shem Tov um, was the founder of the Hasidic movement. Uh, I am a ninth generation descendant of the Baal Shem Tov. Uh, when he, when he uh, in his time, there was um, a great difference between the scholars and the average people, the normal people, the people who were not learned. And they felt a little bit disconnected from, from Judaism. They felt as if they were second-class Jews because they weren't learned. And the Balshantov came along and he said that a person can reach very high levels of spirituality through prayer, through joy, through, through having a, a fervent relationship with God. And, and of course, you know, he did not in any way belittle learning, the supremacy of learning in Judaism. It's critical, you know, learning is what the highest uh, obligation of a Jew is to learn. Torah, learning Torah is probably the most important commandment in the Torah. But at the same time, he was saying that those people that were not fortunate to have the proper training and were able to reach those high levels of learning, there is a path for them as well. That was, that's really the heart of, Hasid, of uh, Hasidism. But you don't consider yourself uh, Hasidic? Um, I consider myself, uh, I am I, a product of the Lithuanian yeshiva system. I, I learned, that that's where I spent my whole life learning. But I consider myself Hasidic uh, in, in some of my attitudes. I feel, uh, you know, I think I have a very strong love for all Jews, and that doesn't make a difference to me. Uh, I mean, I, of course, I would like all Jews to be observant and uh, as, as much as possible, but if a person is not observant through no fault of his own, not because he decided to abandon it, but because he grew up in circumstances where he wasn't taught, to, 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 you know, wasn't taught Torah, wasn't taught observance, I don't love that person any less. And I think that is part of uh, what I've inherited from the Balshamta. It's really, it's really what most people aspire to, but it, it comes easily to me. So Jewish weddings is a very big topic in this film, and I got to ask him about the Bedeckin ceremony, how he feels about it. Uh, Bedeckin means that they, well, before a wedding, there is a custom that, that, uh, that the groom goes into the bride's room and he puts a veil over her. And the, the origin of that custom is that there, there in Judaism, in Jewish marriage, there's two levels to the marriage. There's something called Kedushin and something called Nesuin. Kedushin is the contractual agreement between the two to get married. And if you give a ring, then, then you're married. But you're not yet considered uh, as one. You're not considered as one until the husband brings the wife into the home. In other words, once, once he gives her the ring, the way, the way it used to be in the times of the Talmud is that a man would give a woman a ring, they would be married, and then she would go home to her, to her father for a year, and she would prepare her trousseau, and he would prepare the house and everything, and a year later they would have a second ceremony, which is the Nisuin, which would bind them together and make them lebasar echad, as one flesh. So that is the second stage. We do this, we do both of these in the same night. We don't wait a year. So there are different uh, opinions among the rabbis of how to make nisuin. Um, every Most people say to do a chuppah, a canopy, 
when the when the bride and the groom stand under the canopy, that is uh, a way of bringing her into his domain, and that's that creates the the relationship. Uh, others say that a bedekin. Um, so there are different opinions. So some people will do, and most people actually, will do a few of the different ones. We'll do the chuppah and we'll also do the, uh, the bedekin. Another one is being together called yichud, that after the chuppah, usually the bride and the groom go into a room together and they stay there alone for about 10 minutes or 15 minutes, which means just the two of them alone. According to some people, that's how the nesuin is done. So most people will do all of them, you know? but really, it's not required. We now turn our attention towards politics, and I was curious whether he felt himself a liberal or a conservative, and it also shows how old this interview is, because George W. Bush just got elected over John Kerry. I can't say that I'm totally devastated that Bush won, because I was not extremely uh, excited about Kerry. For other reasons, I didn't feel that he was uh, a decisive person. I don't mind that he changed his mind from time to time. You know, people are allowed to change their minds. Uh, you, call, you call it flip-flops, that doesn't mean anything to me. I, you know, it's just distorting it. But I did feel that he was not decisive. Uh, on the other hand, Bush is decisive and to the point of extremism, and the point of stubbornness, and the point of, uh, of once he goes down a certain path, he doesn't have second thoughts. And, uh, you know, he doesn't question himself. And I think that's a problem. Uh, you know, I, I hope it works out well. I hope, I hope what, he's done, what he's done works out well. I personally was a little bit puzzled by, by the uh, support, the strong support of the Orthodox for Bush. Um, maybe, maybe it's because they think that he's better for Israel. But I don't understand why that's an Orthodox issue. I would think that all Jews are supportive of Israel. So why would only the Jews feel, only the Orthodox would feel that, you know, Bush is for Israel? And at the same time, um, I consider myself more, more liberal than conservative. And I think that, and you find traditionally Jews are liberal, even if they're wealthy, they're liberal. And I think that the reason for that is because, because the ideas of liberalism, if you would ask a person, are you a good person? What makes a person good? Ask a person, what makes, what makes someone good? What would most people say? I think most people would say, if you, I, I've asked this question to many people, just you know, to get a feel for this. And, and most people tell me that a good person is a person who helps others, who's willing to help others. That is the way most of us you know, define goodness. That is a, an idea which is really counterintuitive. You know, you go back to Sodom and Gomorrah. So the people over there were, you know, we could say very evil people. Somebody would come into town, a poor person, they would drive him out, they would do all kinds of things. Now, if you would go over to that person and ask him, do you consider yourself good, do you consider yourself evil? They would say, good, because they would have a different definition of good. Their definition of good would be 
A good person is someone who is courageous, someone who's brave on the battlefield, someone who's loyal to his comrades, someone who's hardworking. That's a good person. That is the pagan definition of a good person. That's the definition of the uh, Teutonics, but most of the pagan world, that's good. The idea that, that you would help, that, that it's important for you to help a person that you don't know. You know, these pagans, you know, somebody used to come into town, a person, I don't know this person, not my relative, he's not my friend, he comes in here, he's poor, and he's asking me to give him money, money that I worked for very hard, I should give it to him. Why in the world should I give it to him? What's my responsibility to this person? Why should I do it? So that, that was their outlook, that was their attitude. And in a certain sense, it's, it's logical. We, we have a different attitude. We say that a, person, a poor person comes, you, you give him charity. That comes from the Torah. It is in the ancient world, it was a radical, radical idea. And the reason why we have to do chesed, we have to be kind to all people, we have to care about all people, help all people, is because Judaism requires a person to emulate the ways of God. And God is kind to us, to created the world. He created the world to do kindness to, to people. God is, is, is the epitome of chesed. Therefore, we have to emulate his ways and also try to be in that way. So the idea, which has become such, a, such an axiom in the Western world, that a good person is a person that will help a stranger, that is an idea which comes from the Torah. It is the antithesis of the pagan idea. Liberalism, of course, has gone off the track in many different ways and has been taken to end but liberalism has its roots in this concept of the Torah, the idea of the responsibility of, one, of, to, of people to other people. Conservatism, pure conservatism, which means that I take care of myself, you take care of yourself, everyone, everyone on his own. I have no responsibility for you. That comes from the pagan world. So... Now, liberal, of course, you know, there are, we don't have pure conservatism today, we don't have pure liberalism, but the roots, where do they come from? So I think Jews automatically gravitate towards liberalism because it comes from the Torah and it has a very, a very deep meaning for, for Jewish people, where people are not Jewish maybe are, have more, um, especially people who are not even Christian, maybe are secular, are closer to the pagan way. So therefore, they could be, they could be more conservative. So, so therefore, I'm a little puzzled by, by why the Orthodox are turning conservative. And I think partially it's Israel, which it's a little bit doesn't make that much sense to me. And the other thing is because what liberalism has done in America, is, is, or in the world, is that they've taken the Torah ideal. The Torah is liberal socially, but it's conservative morally. When it comes to social issues, it comes to, to, to charity, to helping the community, to doing things for other people, the Torah is liberal. When it comes to morality, when it comes to uh, promiscuous licentiousness, the Torah is conservative. 
So I think what's happened is that the liberals have taken the liberalism and carried it over into the field of morality, and that's really what, what's creating problems for Orthodox Jews. Oh, a, conser- a political conservative? Well, you know, they say they also give charity, and it's true, they do, and, and they, they, I, we don't have, you know, there are very few people, I mean, we have Social Security today, right? So nobody's going to go take Social Security apart, even though some, but, so there is, everybody has moved a little bit towards the middle, but I'm just talking about, you know, conservatism in its purest form. But not, we're, not we're diluted by, by you know, other ideas in its purest form, which is, is really a pagan idea. I know he disagrees with non-Orthodox Judaism, but I wondered if he thought they were a danger to the Jewish people in terms of the problem with continuity because of all the assimilation. The non-Orthodox movements represent a danger to Judaism. Well, <laughs> that's an interesting question. Uh, do you mean, uh, do they represent a danger to uh, the Orthodox community, that people in the Orthodox community will, will gravitate to the non-Orthodox movements? Um, to a certain extent, I don't think that's really uh, a very great danger because uh, people who leave the Orthodox fold usually will leave it because of emotional or other reasons, not because of ideological reasons. And if there are, uh, say, uh, reform temples they can go to, then maybe that would sort of uh, make the transition easier for them. Otherwise, they would have to become secular. So I don't know about that. But, but they do represent a very great danger to Judaism in the sense that Judaism, unlike other religions, is inextricably connected to the Jewish people. Judaism is the Jewish people. The Jewish people, Judaism is the covenant between God and the Jewish people. And this covenant, Jews don't, Judaism doesn't require all people to be Jewish. Judaism requires all people to follow a basic set of rules, the seven Noahide laws of to live moral, good lives. That's it. The 613 commandments are only for Jews because Jews have a special relationship with God. They are God's ambassadors to the world, so to speak. They should be. That's really what a Jew should be. They are role models. They are supposed to show, they're supposed to live a life of not only goodness, but a life of holiness. Now, Jews stood at Mount Sinai. They were, they had, they, they, they had the revelation at Mount Sinai. They had prophecy. There was a covenant that was forged between God and the Jewish people, a historical covenant. And the Jews have the responsibility of being the witnesses to, to, to the revelation, the witnesses to the covenant, and the witnesses to the presence of God in the world to everyone. There is no Judaism without the Jewish people. You take Buddhism, right? If, if all the Buddhists in the world today would become Christians and uh, five million Christians would become Buddhists, then there would still be Buddhism. Buddhism is an idea. It's a philosophy. It's an ideology. Christianity is an ideology. All these things are ideologies. So they're not connected to a specific people. They're 
disembodied ideologies, which are, uh, which are held by many people. But these people can leave, other people will replace them, and it'll go on, it'll be the same thing. But Judaism is a covenant. That covenant was forged at Sinai. There is no replacement for the Jewish people. If the Jewish people are gone, there is no Judaism. What, what the non-Orthodox streams have done is that they have opened the door to rampant, rampant intermarriage and assimilation, where today in the United States, I can't tell you elsewhere, maybe other places even worse, some places better, where today assimilation, intermarriage is running 65 to 70 percent. That means most Jews marry out of the faith. And even if, 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 if the children of these marriages are halachically Jewish, even if the mother is Jewish and the father is non-Jewish, where the children are halachically Jewish, the high probability is that they will not be brought up Jewish. That's the statistical fact that, that I, I don't know what the number is, I don't remember, it's a very, very high percentage of intermarried couples do not bring their children up Jewish. So what's happening is that we have a tremendous erosion of the Jewish people. I was speaking to an old rabbi about a year ago, Rabbi Weinberg, the one who, uh, Rabbi Noach Weinberg, the founder of Eishat Torah, and the Rosh Hashiva of Eishat Torah, the dean. The man, he, is, uh, he is well into his 70s. And he was telling me that when he was a child growing up in the United States, there were six million Jews and there were six million blacks. Same thing, six million Jews and six million blacks. How many blacks, African Americans, are there in the United States today? I think it's about 15, 12 to 15 percent of the population. So if we have about 300 million people in the United States, we're talking about 40 to 45 million blacks in the United States. Jews, in the latest population survey, I think have fallen below 5 million. What's happened in the last 60 years? We've gone from 6 to 5, and they've gone from 6 to 45. What's happening to the Jewish people? Now, and, and the more you dilute the Torah, the more you make it not binding, not important, not central to the life of a Jew, the more likely he is to abandon it. So I think in this sense, what they're doing, tremendous damage to the Jewish people. So I challenged him, what if their converts, aren't they replacing these assimilated Jews? If, if you can, people can convert. But let, let's say, heaven forbid, heaven forbid. But let's say, let's say that there will come a point in time which the Torah promises it will never come. But let's say there will come a point in time where there are no Jews in the world then there will be no converts either because you, you can only convert to the people. You can be absor absorbed into the people. You can have a Jewish court which will accept you into the fold and make you one of us. But, but if there is no us, how could you become one of us? You would be, if, if the Jewish people were to disappear, you would need a new covenant. Do we expect to make a new covenant these days? I messed up what's going to happen. So of course we have a promise that, that, that the Jewish people will never disappear. It says in the Torah that no matter how bad it goes, no matter how dispersed you are, I will never completely abandon you, that, that you should completely disappear. But, you know, this is, this is a tragedy. Now, one of the subjects in this documentary is a non-Jewish man who's dating a Jewish woman. 
and they are going to these classes to learn about Judaism and possibly convert. The man who's not Jewish does not want to keep kosher, and the woman does, the Jewish woman does. So they were planning on keeping two sets of dishes, his set for the treif and her set for the kosher. I want to know his thoughts on that arrangement. You know, you have a couple where, where uh, she's Jewish and she wants to keep kosher, and he is not Jewish, and he doesn't want to keep kosher. So you're gonna have two different sets of of, uh, of, uh, of plates and uh, silverware and whatever. Uh, the problem in this case is not the kosher. The problem is the marriage itself, where you have a Jew and a non-Jew married, which first of all the Torah forbids it, and second of all this is, you know, it, it's just it's it's. You know, the, 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 the kosher issue is just a small symptom of the basic problem that these people are not matched. They're not matched. The only way that a Jewish woman can marry a non-Jewish person, a non-Jewish man, is by suppressing to a great extent her Jewishness. If she would be fully Jewish, fully committed, fully, fully devoted to the Torah, fully devoted to Judaism, it would be impossible for her to marry a non-Jewish man. It just wouldn't happen. So the problem here is that, that there's a distortion in, in her Jewish identity. She feels that, you know, she's Jewish, but you know, she's other things besides. It's not, that's not her whole identity. And therefore she can get married, she'll be both, she'll play both. That is the problem. Is there going to be a tech, is there going to be a, a logistical problem in the kitchen? Perhaps. But you know, the solution to that is not to work out, you know, they're all going to eat on plastic plates, you know. That's not the solution to this family. The, but now the conversion that's going to, this is a potential conversion in the non-Orthodox. So that conversion could take place without everybody committing to Kashrut. And that's, what's the issue there? Is that another issue completely different than he shouldn't be accepted as a Jew in the, in the non-Orthodox world? Well, well we, the Orthodox world does not recognize non-orthodox conversions because conversions there are there are uh, three conditions for conversion there's circumcision immersion and acceptance of mitzvahs and if the non-orthodox world does not feel that mitzvahs are obligatory so any person that converts non-orthodox is basically either he's saying he's going to have autonomy and do whatever he feels like doing or he's going to do some and not other. He's not going to follow halacha in the traditional way. So we do not recognize that as a conversion. And the, the, the courts, the, the rabbinical courts that, that, that administer these conversions are not recognized because as rabbis. So, so these conversions are not valid. It's, it's, a, it's a terrible problem because what's going to happen is that... Um, Mainly the problem is when the woman converts in a non-Orthodox. Because if the woman is Jewish and the man is not Jewish, the children are fully Jewish. They're as Jewish as I am, as you are. Um, so so uh, it's not a good way for, for a Jewish child to grow up in a mixed marriage, but the child is fully Jewish. But what happens if it's the other way around? What happens if a... Uh, if a Jewish man marries a non-Jewish woman and she converts non-Orthodox, then she is not considered Jewish. And the children are not Jewish. 
And this child could grow up and go to a yeshiva in Israel and, uh, and you know, go and start learning very, learn a lot of Torah and everything. And he's ready to get married. He wants to marry, you know, a beautiful, good Jewish girl. And he's not a Jew. It's a, I mean, it could be devastating. So that's where the real problems would be if it's the other way around. Although he, he would probably be able to convert if he's a yeshiva bacher. Yes, yeah. yes, he could convert. He could definitely convert. But, but uh, I think he would need therapy. Oh, I see. I wouldn't think about the emotional. I guess no, I, no, emotionally, yeah, spiritually, it would, be, it would be a shock. It's like somebody finding out that, 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 uh, that they're adopted and they're really, uh, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is very difficult to deal with. So we covered the view of the Orthodox and the non-Orthodox, but what about the Orthodox and other types of Orthodox? Well, what's the, what's the difference between the way the Orthodox view the non-Orthodox and the way the, like, the Hasidim and the Mitnagdim, the differences between the moderns and the, uh, and the non-modern, <laughs> classical? Is there, because that's, that's just what the conservative movement says. They say, well, look, even within Orthodoxy, they're not going to recognize their conversions. They have conversions. Oh, no, no, no but, but within Orthodoxy, uh, Orthodox, uh, any, any part of the Orthodox world will recognize the conversion of any other part of the Orthodox world. The, you know, the, the, the Sephardim will recognize an Ashkenaz conversion, and the Hasidim will recognize a Misnagat conversion. There's no such thing. There, there, of course, there are differences, and there are arguments, and there are, are heated disputes on many issues, but, but everyone acknowledges and, and validates the full, the full legitimacy Jewish legitimacy of, of all the other groups because the basic, the basic, the dividing line is the acceptance of Torah and Hashemayim. If you accept that the Torah came from God, that it came through prophecy, that there was revelation at Sinai, that there's a historical covenant between God and the Jewish people, that you have to obey the, the, the Torah, you have to follow the Talmud and Halacha, which everyone agrees to, that is the foundation of Judaism. Now, within the Talmud and within the Torah, there are many, you know, there are all kinds of, you know, any, any issue that arises, you could have a dozen opinions, and all of them fit into the parameters of the Talmud. And you could have all kinds of arguments. Is this the right way? Is that the right way? You know, we have philosophical disagreements, ideological disagreements, but as long as they are all within the purview of the Torah, that's fine. That's fine. That means we're all, we're all, you know, we can fight as brothers, you know, ideological brothers. But we're talking about the non-Orthodox. They are our brothers. They are our brothers, our beloved brothers and sisters. But ideologically, they are not our brothers. Because if they deny Torah and the Shemayim, if they contend that the Torah is an invention of our ancestors, whether, whenever it was, and for whatever purpose it was, and it's just these people that came up with these wonderful ideals, these moral ideas, and these ethical ideas, whatever it is, this is not the Judaism of our ancestors. So anything which, which flows from that does not have Jewish legitimacy. But within the Orthodox world, you know, there's a very big range, you know, Chabad and, and, and extreme Litvaks and... I mean, you've got, you know, you have a very big range of, 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 of people who are, who are, maybe some of them don't even talk to each other. 
but but no one no one delegitimizes the other one. But as long as as long as they accept the basic premises of Judaism and they agree that it's the supremacy of the Torah, supremacy of the Talmud, supremacy of Halacha, then they're within the pale. Okay, that's a t- that's a because if they're not talking to each other, then what the, what kind of connect? Why do they? How are they even brothers? Brothers fight. Say that again. <laughs> what? Brothers, you know, even even if they're even if they're not talking to each other, first of all, it's not usual not talking to each other. But even if they're really, you know, at loggerheads, so that's the way it happens, you know, family. Some families are very, you know, very uh, docile, and everybody gets along great. And some are very intense, and there's fights going on all the time and arguments. But you know, they're brothers, and they love each other, and they're in the same under the same roof. So all these these factions that are that are squabbling whether they have whether they're justified whether they're not justified we're all under the same ideological roof one uh, one criticism is they look at the uh, orthodox in Israel that they're you know you tell me about that you saw the magazine where they're throwing rocks and it's all uh, they throw rocks on Shabbos I mean when people drive by that, or, that, or like let's say a non-orthodox uh, minion like a, a mixed egalitarian egalitarian services at the Kotel yeah. Okay. So let, let, let you know. There. Let me talk about these two different things. One is about, and they're really very much related. But I'd like to just address them separately. One is the people in Israel throw rocks at cars that drive on, on Shabbos, and the people that throw rocks at the at the surface. I think it was on Shavuos at the, at the Kotel. Nobody endorses this kind of behavior. I don't think there's a single rabbi in the world that endorses these kind of, this kind of behavior. These are hooligans. Now they could be, they could have long payas and and you know and uh, whatever, and big black hats, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. These people are hooligans. This is not behavior that's endorsed by the Torah. It's not behavior that's endorsed by the rabbis. It's just it's just not proper and not not acceptable. Can they control it completely? No, you can't. You know, you can't. You can't control everybody. They disapprove if they they disapprove of it. It happens anyway. At the coastal, also nobody nobody is in favor of this happening. But there's a special issue at the coastal, which is that that there's nothing there's nothing in 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 anyone's beliefs in in uh, conservative or reform that says that a reformed person cannot walk into an orthodox shul and pray. It's fine. If a reformed couple wants to go pray in an orthodox shul, so they'll come into the shul and the man will go on one side of the mechitza, the woman will go on the other side of the mechitza. They won't both go to go, go into the men's section because this is an orthodox shul. There's nothing that, that, that forbids them to do that. But there is something that forbids an orthodox man to pray in, in a mixed group. It's the requirement of the Torah, of the halacha, that when you're praying, you should not have women around you that will distract you and that will lower the level of your holiness and your purity, that uh, this, is, this is something we cannot do. The kosal belongs to all Jews. So therefore, the mode of prayer at the kosal should be a mode of prayer that is acceptable to everyone. So the orthodox mode works for everyone. So why, so why try to create a different egalitarian minion at the Kosovo, which, which creates problems 
for the Orthodox who will not be able to pray there because there are women and men, men sitting together. That is unfair. There's nothing that, the, the, it is not unfair to ask a, a reformed couple or a conservative couple, please, when you come to this place, this place has to work for all Jews, so please, over here, the men and the women have to be separate. Make believe you walk into an Orthodox shul. You would do that, right? So this is a place where Orthodox people also have to pray. Most of the people that are at the wall every day, from morning till very late at night, are the Orthodox people. So why, why impede their ability to pray at the Koso? That is, that is not the, the reason for that egalitarian minion at the Koso. It's a purely political statement. I remember at the time there was an article by Hillel Halkin, uh, who is not, was a secular Israeli, and he made basically this point. He says there's nothing that requires them to have this type of, 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 of a minion at the Koto. So that's a different issue. But, but, but when it happens, to throw rocks? No. There are other ways. Hot as hell, Jay.